0: Hey, it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring, where we provide insight into the history of supply chain management and expose you to some of the industry's thought leaders and driving forces. In this episode, we sat down with industry veteran Duncan Klett to learn more about his career and why he started Canaxis, one of the great supply chain technology companies. It all sounds pretty boring, so let's see if Duncan can prove me wrong. Duncan, thanks again for investing time with me to hear about your career and learn about your perspectives on supply chain management.
1: Well, Chris, thank you for inviting me and letting me talk, and I'm looking forward to this session.
0: You're a co-founder with a a major supply chain company, Canaxis, and and I look forward to learning more about the start development and even the current status of the organization. But Duncan, for now, let's let's learn a little bit about you. You're you're from Canada. You attended the University of British Columbia and you studied electrical engineering. So so tell us a little bit about why you chose that organization, why you studied engineering.
1: I grew up in Vancouver, BC, and actually grew up fairly close to the UBC campus. So I don't know, two or three miles away. In those days you basically well everybody from my high school that went to university almost everybody went to ubc there was there was really no choice i guess i had a few friends who went to med school other than ubc uh, but almost everybody that from that school went to ubc so it was a no-brainer to go to ubc in terms of engineering i love understanding how things are made and how things go together and how things work and i like even as a, as a little kid, I used to like taking things apart and hopefully put them back together again with no pieces left on the table when you were done. So yeah, engineering was also kind of a no brainer. Um, I like math and science as well. And so yeah, building things, understanding how things work, uh, good, good place to go.
0: Now was electrical engineering, was that computer related engineering or?
1: Well, you've got to remember, I started UBC, I think in 1970. So I did electrical engineering. A lot of it was computer science. So starting from NAND, Gates, NOR, Gates, flip-flops and stuff like that, and, and transistors, even tube theory, I think we did a little bit of that. And then it, it rapidly read in, led into uh, computer science. Although I guess there was a computer science faculty at UBC at the time, but I was really interested in the nuts and bolts of things, how things really worked. So I stayed in engineering, and, uh, but did a lot of programming and computer science type stuff as well.
0: Okay, yeah, because now I know computer science is its own study, but a lot of times it originates out of electrical engineering. What was your first job out of university?
1: First job out of university was uh, Bell Northern Research, which is kind of like Bell Labs uh, that you'd be familiar with, part of Northern Telecom and and Bell Canada. Developed the uh, telephone systems that, well, Bell Canada used, and then Nortel sold off to other parts of the world. It was a center... It was almost like another grad school. Its offices in Ottawa, Uh, it's like another grad school. You could go there and and do some really interesting things. And it was also a real focus on high performance real-time systems and high reliability. So if I remember correctly, the, the spec for telephone systems was two hours downtime in 40 years. So hugely high reliable systems. And of course you expect dial tone. There's a, there was a spec on that too. I think you had to get dial tone within three seconds. So as we computerized the telephone network, went from the old Straloger rotary switches to computers driving the whole system. That's what I was involved in, the, the real-time programming. Uh, as a kid uh, out of school, it was a great place to be, uh, doing lots of interesting things and, and learning lots about real-time systems.
0: Yeah, I even remember, I think in the States, you mentioned the Bell Labs. That was a, a popular... Think tank, and a lot of a lot of thought leaders came out of that organization. At least in the, as I say, in the states. I
1: actually had an opportunity to visit the uh, Bell Labs headquarters, Murray Hill, uh, New Jersey. I guess that is. It's now part of, I guess, it's now part of Nokia. It's gone to Bell, Lucent, Al- Alcatel, Lucent, and now Nokia. But walking the halls there and seeing the, the pictures on the wall of the inventors of transistors, like ShotKey and people like that. It's almost a religious experience, actually.
0: So I hear you like to to put things together, create, I guess, create systems concepts. And so that that links us into Canaxis that you started in, what, 1984? Or you were the founder? Where did the idea come from? And tell me about how that all started. Well, the,
1: the three of us who started the company were all at Mitel. And they made PBX telephone equipment, but also did the chips that gave it unique performance and capabilities. And so... We were on the design automation side of the organization, so helping our chip designers primarily develop uh, new technologies. Yeah, so that's that's where we started from. We also had responsibility for running the company's MRP system. At the time, this is before outsourcing, remember, uh, 84, Mitel had its own manufacturing operations and ran its own MRP system, and it ran about 40 hours. So you'd run it once a week on the weekend and hope that it, ran successfully and that the results made sense and were usable. Otherwise, typically about once a month on average, there was a problem with the MRP and therefore had to make a decision. Do we rerun MRP for two days and shut transactions on the floor while it's running or do we run off of last week's box of paper? Uh, Neither was terribly attractive. At the same time, one of the other founders, so I wasn't the founding president, the founding president was Mike Cahy. But he came up with the idea that we had found a piece of hardware that ran logic simulation about a thousand times faster than we could run it on our deck faxes, which will definitely date me. And so the idea was maybe we could make a piece of hardware that we could run MRP in less than five minutes. With that idea, we started a company and there off we went. So it was all about giving interactivity, interaction to planners and let them really plan rather than just... Following the instructions on the piece of on the computer printout that came to them,
0: so it sounds like just always always looking for kind of continuous improvement. You talked about the MRP systems, yeah. and, and yeah. making them making them better.
1: Yeah, so it started with running it fast, so you could run multiple sessions and, and learn from it uh, and and therefore do better so you could iterate as the company continued to grow and expand our, our footprint, we've added uh, a user interface, we've moved it all to the cloud. Uh, well, in fact, we rewrote it all for the cloud and, and user interface and added more functionality, full level pegging and availability calculations and uh, what we call uh, automated sourcing intelligence to help sort out the, uh, the best path of supply to get, to get that, uh, satisfy customer demand from all the various sources that might be available to a, a very complicated uh, supply network.
0: But so it's all about
1: uh, making it interactive and, and yeah. helping clients do a better job.
0: So, what was your what was your role then? Were you a uh, just a thought leader, a business leader, a programmer? What well, was your... when
1: you start a company with with three of us, like the day we started, I think it was August fifth or something like that, nineteen eighty four. The three of us sat around a card table in the classic uh, basement office you know, rental suite, and sort of said, "What have we done now?" And if, and if we weren't working, nothing was happening because it was just three of us. And so you you do everything, you do what has to be done, right? Uh, so you do some design. I guess when it first started, I was doing what would now be called product management and some of the architectural design. Um, the other founder, John Peacock, uh, ran development. Mike was primarily responsible for, for sales and, and generating revenue as a startup, generating cash, I guess, as a startup. Um, and so I ran some operations, I had some design activity, uh, some architectural stuff, and then that's that's evolved. I've done different things for a little while. I was chief operating, or chief, what was it, uh, managing director? I was for a little while while we were looking for a new president. I've done lots of different things in the company.
0: Yeah, and you're still you're still fairly active. I mean, how long's it been? Thirty, forty years?
1: Well, it's thirty, be thirty. Yes. Well, it was thirty-six years, so a little more than thirty-six years now that I've been the company. Yeah, I've done lots of things. So, what I love about access and what I do is I get to uh, solve problems, understand what's going on, meet and work with some great people, uh, both internally and with our customers and partners. And uh, yeah, it's still fun. So what else would I do?
0: <laughs> sure. And I've seen some of your taglines or, or things, your bios that you're a CanAxis fellow and a rapid response master. So what, what, are those, what do those mean? Is that just marketing or?
1: No, well, the the CanAxis fellow is like a university fellow or a uh, Bell Labs uh, has fellows or had fellows. In my case, I think it means I'm unmanageable. (laughs) So I've been with the organization long enough, and I guess people trust me to do, I'll say, the right thing. So I'm in the strategy team, but I do... What I feel is most important, which oftentimes is responding to requests from others and and helping others out. So helping people understand how to use the product, helping people understand what it does, helping potential customers uh, understand what they could do with it. Not too many sales opportunities I get directly involved with, but a few. And I get involved with deployment projects. So I, I live deep in the weeds of the product. And then as I learn what people want to do or could do, I take that back to product management and product development and Help the uh, fulfillment of those ideas, if you like. Uh, verify that they actually solve the problem, and, and therefore keep in touch with development, and then help roll it out to the field and help our field people understand what these new functionalities do and how to use them.
0: Duncan, let's go back again back to the beginning. Yeah. Who was the who was the first company, the first customer?
1: First customer was Nortel. So remember, we were making hardware. The first thing we did was hardware. So it was a uh, five. Uh, Six foot rack, a six foot rack, two of them side by side. So think of, of a French door fridge, big fridge, full of full of gear. And uh, at the bottom of each of those two racks was a, a air blower to keep it all cool. Which uh, I tease it would is only slightly smaller than what you see in a regional jet in terms of the amount of airflow. That's overstating, but it moved a lot of air and it was actually quite noisy. And that connected to a mini computer and a terminal. And so I've never been able to verify this, but we were selling those at about six or 700,000 US dollars each. And I'm pretty sure that would make the world's most expensive personal computer because one person could use this thing at a time. And it had, uh, well, 16 racks of processors and memory. I think it had 156 megabytes of RAM in it, which at that time was huge. Of course, it's nothing now. So that, did that answer the question? I think I went off yeah, the side. No, thing. no, that's, that's good. That's,
0: any, any lessons learned from, you know, as you grew the business or interesting stories, great successes? Uh,
1: I think the, one of the things that we all learned, and, and I think you sort of know it, everybody knows it, but it doesn't hurt to, re, to repeat it. And that is the first rule of business is to stay in business. So you've got to have enough cash to do things like meeting payroll and pay the rent. And at times that's a challenge. When uh, when you're selling a big piece of gear like that, it takes a long time to get it closed. I think the original Nortel contract had 26 different signatures on it. And if you think working a contract through an organization takes a week of signature, well, there's a half a year gone, right? And yeah, that's from when it's, when it's a done deal until it's a done deal is, is half a year. That can be challenging in terms of cash. Uh, we actually tracked our daily cash projections and, and projected out our daily cash requirements. So cash is king is, is the other, uh, another learning. And then the, the third one I'd say is the customer is always right. The customer may need a little bit of um, re-education I'll say, but ultimately it's the customer that drives the business. So we've always had a very customer intimate uh, business model where we really work closely with the customer understand what their business is, understand what their needs are, and really help them get value and and be successful. And that personally gives me a huge amount of pleasure when I see that a customer is able to do something that they were never able to do before or find uh, a situation that they can solve. the first time they look at data and rapid response, they see something they didn't expect and they can send an email or get on the phone or whatever. And, and, solve a million-dollar problem just like that because they were able to see the impact of something and take advantage of that, which they never knew before.
0: New ideas and new ways of doing things. Yeah, the, yeah. So rapid response, you've said that a couple of times. What, is, what does that represent to you?
1: Well, rapid response is, is our product. A single model of your entire supply chain, is, as much data as you can get from your own organization, from your customers, your customers' customers, your suppliers, your suppliers' suppliers, load that into rapid response it all lives in memory it's always in memory it's not like a system that loads data into memory runs its batch job and shuts down again it's it's always there it's always on and as the data changes it recalculates automatically and keeps gives you a view of exactly the state of your supply chain plus we have something else which is as far as i know really unique in in the database world and that's built-in versioning so we don't have well we have one version of the truth but we have multiple one versions of the truth in the sense that you can create a child scenario off of any other scenario and then you can go change data as as much as you want so if it's a private scenario you can change any data that you want to simulate the impact of that change or those changes and uh, see what it does to your supply chain so we have customers that keep snapshots of what was the plan last week, what was the plan the week before that. And then they also do contingency planning with it to say, well, what if this supply disappears? So then you can shut off a part source, see what that does to your availability of customer orders and things like that. Uh, so hugely powerful system. And we don't store all the data, we only store the changes. So it's very efficient in terms of how much memory and how it takes and how long it takes to load up and things because of the way we do our our multi-version multi-scenario database
0: it sounds almost like a a modeling simulation tool correct
1: well it is that that is what it is all right exactly now it happens to run the the current plan if you like the 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 company operating plan is more like your normal system where you say you know what's going on to do whatever recommendations what are the actions things like that is understanding
0: Let's look. Let's look into the future, Duncan. What if you had to start another company? What would you be looking at today?
1: Good question. So, I would say I actually listened to uh, Bill Gates a, a Bill Gates uh, interview uh, yesterday, and he commented that if you start a company, you'd really better love what you're doing because there are going to be times when it's tough, and if you don't love what you're doing, you do what any sane person would do do something else. So. Uh, I'd say that's the first thing is is find something that you love doing and then stick at it. As I said, the first rule of business is to stay in business. So if you decide that it's not going where you want it to be going, figure out what you like, figure out what's fun, maybe do a pivot to towards that if there's a better market opportunity, but it still has to be something that you enjoy doing in terms of supply chain specifically, boy, there's um, lots going on. The complexity of companies. So, I remember when we were at Mitel, HP had $4 billion in revenue and people just shook their heads and said, wow, what, what a huge company. Now, $4 billion in revenue hardly raises an eyebrow, right? Like you're talking 40 or more billion dollars in revenue for a company that is significant, I would say. So part of that, I guess, is inflation, but part of that is the complexity and the scope of products and the scale of, of the market that people are able to address. So back to supply chain, how can we help people manage their supply chains with another order of magnitude increase in uh, the data volumes and, and complexity of what they're trying to do? Uh, every company is similar but different. So every company, I uh, say, well, every successful company at least has some unique aspect of either their product or their market or their processes that lets them stay in business. And so you have to satisfy that unique requirement for each company uh, as they magnify by or amplify by by 10X. Uh, So I think that's the challenge in supply chain. Uh, What tools will be needed to do that? Well, clearly you can't just keep keep throwing more and more people at every problem. So computers are, are involved more and more, the need, is there to automate more and more. So if you can automate 80, 90% of the supply chain transactions. That means that your people can get five to 10 X more value uh, from the time they spend on doing something themselves. So that's huge. So I think automating uh, activities, connecting the, the links. So one of the things that I've been promoting a lot of late, but I've had it in the back of my head for a long time is that managing a supply chain, we should be thinking of that as a control system, so in engineering, an awful lot of engineering curriculum deals with uh, control systems, uh, the math to, to understand how to manipulate and optimize those things. But a lot of it deals with control theory, and one of the big aspects of control systems is delays. So all, every control system pretty much has a has a feedback loop. So if you think of your cruise control in your car, it's sampling the speed and adjusting the throttle. A thousand times or more a second and that they that keeps a pretty smooth speed and, and it works pretty well you if you think about it for just a second if the cruise control only adjusted the throttle once every minute it would not be a smooth ride at all you'd be over accelerating and then slowing down and then speeding up because it would have no way of it would have no way of responding to the changes of up and down the hills or around curves and things like that that would slow you down and so it would overreact or it would be so slow in responding that you would just not be happy either. So supply chain management, I believe is the same thing. So if you've got six or seven layers of companies involved and different processes like SNLP, MPS, production planning, distribution planning, each of these being different modules that runs sequentially, each company adds a huge amount of time delay plus There's transit times and shipping times and production times or lead times. So there's huge delays throughout the supply chain. So is it any wonder that we have a a bullwhip effect? Again, think of the cruise control, how well that would not work if it was adjusting the throttle once a minute. So whatever we can do to take time, take delay out of the system, Uh, again, uh, control theory has talked a lot about having a model of the system, and especially when the system takes a while to respond, if you have a model of the system, you can estimate what the system would do to your change in controls or change and changes in inputs, and therefore predict what's going to happen and adjust its controls accordingly, and therefore give stability and better response of the system. So that is what rapid response does. We are a digital twin or a digital model of your entire supply chain. So we tell you what's likely to happen when you do these changes, and therefore what actions your partner should be taking etc etc so ripple the change up and down the entire supply chain as close to instantaneously as possible so that everybody reacts at the same time and therefore takes delay out and adds stability and resiliency agility to your supply chain so that's some of the things that people could be looking at i guess
0: now that you've given me another idea duncan that's you know a lot of the cars now in the states they have this uh I don't know what it's called, but they have the lane assist and the, and yeah, the uh, lane
1: keeping assist lane yeah.
0: keeping. And, and you put the, the cruise control on and it, it lets you know how close you are to the car ahead of you. It slows down and adjusts yeah, The
1: automatic cruise control is, 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 again, another enhancement because it's got additional sensors and additional elements going into the control. And it's expanded now. So with the cruise control and the lane keeping assist and the uh, proximity detection, it's now controlling not just throttle, but also uh, brakes and steering extended what it's what it's managing and it makes driving a lot a a lot more relaxing i'm amazed that when i turn those assists on that on a long drive like i just did it's not nearly as tiring as it used to be because you don't have to worry about a bunch of stuff
0: (laughs) you still have to pay attention but you don't have to concentrate nearly as much but that's that's the idea you said maybe i don't know what that whole system is called autonomous driving or whatever but we almost need that for supply chain. That would be kind
1: well, of Well, yes. So that's, I, I think we'll, we'll never have a supply chain that's totally run by a bank of computers. There's stuff that's just outside of the scope of whatever program you've got. Now, you keep adding to what's automated and what's adding to what the computer does. But as your scope goes up by a factor of 10, then the, the likelihood of, of more uncertainty and more unexpected variations increases and therefore there's there's still lots of work for people to do, if only in improving the system. But in fact, analyzing some different situation, building relationships. So the computers don't set up relationships with each other automatically. Um, They can find out what services are available, I guess, but they can't set up a relationship. That takes people to set up the relationship and then the people set up the computers to do the the standard normalized transactions. Uh, so people still need to be involved in the supply chain to extend it, adding adding new participants, changing changing how it operates, et etc. Cetera, et cetera.
0: Now, Duncan, you dropped a lot of terms in there: SNOP, MPS, bullwhip, and that makes me start thinking about APICS, which I'm a fan of. APICS, and many of our listeners will be APICS fans. So you have a bit of history with APICS or ASCM.
1: Yes, right? uh, ASCM now or Capic, as it's called in Canada. I've been a member for. I think 40 years or so. I think I had a lapse in there maybe, so my official membership is 25 plus, but anyway, uh, of the current membership term. Uh, Yeah, I've been a member a long time. I was uh, on the executive of the Ottawa chapter for a few years, uh, quite a few years ago. uh, helped with the educational side of it, which as you might've gathered, kind of fits into things I like to do. Some of my passions, I, I like teaching people and helping people learn and understand, and so, being involved with the uh, Education Committee of, of the APICS chapter was, was was something I enjoyed doing. I would add as a pitch for APICS or ASCM, it's a great opportunity for people to develop uh, management and leadership skills. There is nothing harder than managing a group of volunteers. You don't have any of the commercial levers that are available as a company manager. And so if you can manage a group of volunteers, it that is great experience and great training for a future management within a company or running a company for that matter.
0: As I tell people it's it's kind of like herding cats. Correct. Yes, managing uh, volunteers.
1: Yeah, figuring out what why why would this person volunteer, what do they want to get out of it, and giving them the opportunities to to get whatever it is they want to get out of it and maybe a few things they hadn't thought of that would also be useful to them.
0: Now, something that might apply to what, you know, Canaxis is doing or has done is, is the beer game. Have you ever heard of the beer game associated with? Yeah, well, chain?
1: I've heard of the beer game. Funny you should ask that, Chris, is, is I think it was just last week. For the first time ever, I actually played in the beer game, beer game, and it was very informative, I'll say. I mean, I'm certainly well familiar with the operation of the supply chain and, and well familiar with the operation of the beer game. I was put in at the retail level so I was driving it. I was very conscious that decisions I was making at the retail level would impact the three levels below me and therefore tried very hard to to keep stability and still screwed up a bit, not as it turned out nearly as badly as, as another team that was playing at the same time, but it was very instructive. And that leads back to what Rapid Response the Canaxis product does is at the end of the game, I wished I could have told my warehouse what I was doing and why I was increasing or decreasing my order. I wish I knew what they were going to place as an order for the next cycle. And, and similarly, why they didn't satisfy the demand I was passing at them. Uh, I presume it's because they ran out of stock, but uh, I don't know for sure, nor do I know what they were ordering from the distribution center, etc., etc. So. If we'd had concurrent planning where we could all see what each level was doing and if we'd had collaboration so we could talk and I could say, look, I'm decreasing right now because I've got too much inventory, but only for this one period because then I'll burn it off and, and we'll be better. So don't you overreact or I'm increasing because I think there's been a, a, an increase in demand, which I think is is sustaining. So therefore, you should be increasing your uh, your your production as well etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's the collaboration so i'm dying to try this again with collaboration and concurrent planning going on and see if the results are significantly better i'm sure they will be
0: yeah it's always an interesting game it, it, especially if you're not familiar with the ideas of collaboration and sharing at the start it can become very frustrating
1: you're like what yeah, well like, in fact like, the beer game doesn't let you collaborate or yeah. or, or communicate so that prevents you from doing so uh if you could i think that would be really interesting to see how much better the supply chain would operate
0: well duncan anything else you'd like to share about your history or or what you're thinking about before i ask my my last questions
1: well that's been an interesting conversation i think we've uh, covered a lot of ground here thanks chris Uh, so
0: yeah well mm -hmm. well one thing just just to get your perspective on this you know Something I like to conclude with is always getting the guest perspective on the future of careers in supply chain management. So do you have suggestions or guidance for anyone, any students entering university that might be looking at supply chain management or even experienced professionals that might want to make a career change into supply chain management? Any thoughts there?
1: Well, first of all, I'd say I think this goes on a theme you have, Chris. Supply chain is by no means boring. Hmm. On one hand, we're trying to do the same stuff that we've been trying to do for, for 40 years, get the right stuff to the right place at the right time, but there's so much variability and there's so much complexity and uncertainty going on, it's no, by no means boring. And I think in terms of students, the first thing is how many students even know that they could potentially have a career in supply chain and that it, it might be something interesting. Uh, So for sure they need to be thinking about data science and statistics and maybe some optimization. There's a lot of math. I would like to see supply chain planning get renamed as it gets refocused and becomes like either network planners, which is one way of looking at it or network managers or even supply chain engineer uh, would be an interesting title to indicate the, higher level of, of, I'll say, academic uh, involvement in it and uh, the difficulty and complexity of, of being successful, of, of successfully managing a very complicated supply chain.
0: Yeah. One thing I, I keyed on is just, you, you mentioned it about 10 minutes ago, was the, the focus on regardless of how we automate transactions in supply chain, there's still going to be a need to manage the relationships.
1: Yeah. So key. everything is people, process and, and, and technology. They, they really go together. To some extent, the technology is the least. On the other hand, you can adjust the processes based on different technology, or you need to adjust the processes to take advantage of different technology. And that means almost always that you need different uh, skills in the people that are, are operating it.
0: Well, super, I, I appreciate your perspective. And I appreciate your, your, your position that supply chain is not boring. So you may have proven me <laughs> wrong today.
1: Well, I hope so. As I said, I'm uh, still finding it exciting after 36 years now of doing this uh, this game. It's exciting, it's interesting, uh, and it's fun. So, uh, Chris, thank you for uh, taking the time to talk with me. It's been it's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, Duncan, thanks for what you've done to the industry, for the industry, and also thanks for investing time with me. All right, most welcome. Supply Chain is Boring is part of the Supply Chain Now network. We highlight historical events, companies and people in supply chain management, and create a picture of where the industry is headed. Interested in learning more about supply chain technology startups, mergers, acquisitions, and how companies evolve? Take a listen to Tequila Sunrise, crafted by Greg White. Or check out This Week in Business History with Supply Chain Now's own Scott Luton to learn more about everyday things you may take for granted and pick up short stories you can use as general conversation starters. The Logistics with a Purpose series puts a spotlight on neat and interesting organizations who are working toward a greater cause. If you're interested in logistics, freight, and transportation, take a listen to the Logistics and Beyond series with the Adapt and Thrive Mindset Sherpa, Jamin Alvadrez, And check out the newest program, Tech Talk, hosted by industry veteran and Atlanta's own, Corinne Bursa. Versa will discuss all things digital supply chain. If interested in sponsoring this show or others on Supply Chain Now, send a note to chris at supplychainnow.com. And remember, supply chain is boring.